Hey guys, welcome to my views on politics. Uh, my name is Jared Reno. I started this podcast uh, during coronavirus because I had a lot of opinions I wanted to get out there about politics. Since then, uh, politics have kind of really become a passion of mine. Uh, and so I've, I've utilized a variety of social media to be able to share my ideas and put them down. Uh, TikTok uh, has really been a, a really good one uh, because it, it's a really short format and uh, it's allowed me to, to reach a, a broader audience. That being said, there's some limitations to TikTok and time. Uh, so I don't always get all my ideas out there. And so this podcast really allows me to do that. This is a completely amateur podcast. You're not going to get uh, awesome sound quality. I think I'm using like a 40 or a $50 mic that I picked up a number of years ago um, to use for work, actually, <laughs> when coronavirus originally shut down. Um, so you're going to hear the fans go off. You might hear my dog jump on the bed or my cat meowing. Uh, and that just is what it is. We're just we're just going to move through it. We're, we're going to be good, right? We're going to move on with it. Um, this is uh, listener supported, um, so I'm not going to be doing any more ads on any of the podcasts going forward. Um, so if you like what you hear, um, then you're welcome to make donations to it. Uh, but otherwise, this is going to just be for the listeners uh, that are out there. So really what I want to start with first this week, uh, I just want to start with some news. Uh, there, were, there were a couple things that kind of drew my attention. And I want to start with local news. So I live in Salem, Oregon. Uh, and so when I talk about local news, I, I'm going to be discussing Oregon-related news. But this one actually does specifically hit close to home. It hits in Salem. And it, it's from the Statesman Journal. And the article title is, Man Investigated for Sex Abuse Was Then Allowed Access to a South Salem Daycare. And it really... It really highlights a number of issues. Um, so there were prior sexual abuse investigations involving the uh, assaultant, Fernando Del Rio Jr. And um, those accusations started in 2013. However, um, because those did not result in any sort of convictions, he was not required to license or to register as a sex offender. Five years after those accusations, his wife was able to open up a licensed daycare and he would help her at that daycare. Now, because of the lack of convictions, he did not show up in any of the background checks. And his wife definitely failed to do her responsibility of protecting the kids, of being a mandatory reporter, um, and ensuring that the kids, or really ensuring that Del Rio would not have been in a position to abuse these kids. But then a number of kids were abused, unfortunately. And so there's been a big discussion of who all is at fault. Like, how did the system allow this to happen. So let's go and start back in 2013. A mother in McMinnville contacted police to report that her five-year-old daughter reported being raped and molested by Del Rio. During a phone call with a relative of the girl, Del Rio made several bizarre statements about the allegations, including saying 
young girls are crushing on him and that kids love him and flirt with him, according to the court records. The McMinnville Police Department determined there was insufficient evidence in the case and declined to pursue charges. And then shortly after the investigation, Del Rio and his family moved to Twin Falls, Idaho. Less than a year later, a daycare teacher reported suspected abuse after one of her students behaved in a way that was sexually inappropriate. When the teacher asked the five-year-old girl about the behavior, she said she learned it from Del Rio. She cried and said, he can't help it, and he is sorry, according to court records. Del Rio denied the abuse, and the victim later struggled during a forensic interview, refusing to answer questions and saying she didn't remember or didn't know what happened. The same victim came forward seven years later in 2020, saying she didn't want to lie anymore, and that Del Rio had abused her for several years. Del Rio got off because he denied it, and when he had to face his abuser, a five-year-old girl, she froze. The trauma that had been inflicted on this girl caused her to freeze. Keep that in mind. This guy was only not charged because a five-year-old girl froze when asked about the trauma that she had undergone. I know women today who struggle to talk about trauma. I know men today who struggle to talk about trauma. I have my own personal trauma that I do not like to talk about. And it still affects me to this day. And these are things that happened when I was a kid, early teens, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. And I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to move on from that trauma. It is always going to affect my life. So as this timeline of abuse was going on, Del Rio's wife opened a daycare. And uh, it opened in September of 2019. So the alleged original investigation was 2013. This is six years later. Remember, the victim who came to speak up about it after the fact spoke up in 2020. Um, Melanie Maceros, a spokeswoman for the Early Learning Division, said as part of the application process, the Office of Child Care reviews criminal history, child abuse and neglect history, as well as adult protective services and foster care history. If an applicant has any type of this history, the office gathers all available information on the incident, including information from the applicant, and determines whether they are suitable to be enrolled in the registry. And the registry is a child daycare provider registry. If an applicant has negative child abuse and neglect history, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's proof that the individual committed abuse. And we're going to pause there. We might stop there. I understand innocent until proven guilty, but we are not dealing exclusively with adults. We are dealing with very young kids in most situations whose brains are developing rapidly 
and the actions of what was done to them, that trauma, those consequences may not be fully realized until much later in their life. So to say that, well, just because someone was accused doesn't mean that they should be prevented from being able to serve in this capacity. I have to call bullshit on. Like, no, you, someone felt it was necessary to accuse you of, of child abuse. And while you denied it, there just hasn't been enough evidence to go forward about this, uh, to charge you, or they tried to charge you. Maybe it's just, um, it's, it's sick. It's absolutely sick and, and, and disgusting. And I, I just don't understand it. Um, so that's that's the the first bit of news, and again, that's in the Statesman Journal. Um, turns out uh, the guy is being charged, but it's um, still a question of how did how did how did we get to a point where he was put in a position to be able to violate kids again? It's just it's sad and disgusting. Okay, so now let's talk about the Federal Reserve. And this week, the Fed hiked uh, interest rates again by another 75 basis points. Um, really, that's three quarters of a percent. So it's 0.75%. Um, and that is a com that is in addition to a number of interest rate hikes that the Fed has already done this year. Um, the Fed is doing this to try and control inflation. In essence, the Federal Reserve does not believe that inflation right now is because of a shortage of supply, which is what we've been led to believe, right? Supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. And while there are supply chain issues, it's that's not really the reason behind the inflation, according to the Fed. The Fed is saying that demand is too high. People have, whether it's increased income or whatever the case may be, um, because there's so much demand that's creating um, positions for people to be able to uh, borrow money at low cost, companies to borrow money at low cost, I'm talking mortgages, auto loans, all that sort of stuff. And a year ago, yeah, you mortgage rates were, I mean, you can get a mortgage for just under 3%. And today, that same mortgage is about six and a quarter percent. So mortgage rates have gone up. Okay. And what that's done, and we've already seen it over the course of the last month, is that has slowed down the demand for people to want to purchase houses. Now, the, the price of houses hasn't changed yet. But it will, because as people are wanting to move those houses or as investors are wanting to stop having to hold this asset, they're going to lower the prices to get rid of it. Right? Because think about it, a business is okay if they have to taking a loss on something. As long as they win overall, if they have to take a couple losses here and there, that's a good thing. So by increasing the interest rates, a couple of things have already happened. One, the interest rate, the penalty, if you don't pay your credit card in full on time, is higher now than it was six months ago and definitely higher now than it was a year ago. 
And the purpose behind that is, is not to penalize people. Again, it's to slow down how much spending people are doing. There's the borrowing of businesses. So a business can borrow money and they can borrow money to whether it's expand or whether it's to do stock buybacks um, or any number of things when there's low to no interest on that and you can get that money in essence for free, businesses are going to do that. So now when there's an actual cost of borrowing money in that interest, businesses are going to think twice about their approach to things. And so that could lead some businesses to maybe not choose to expand into certain markets. And when you have a number of businesses who are all trying to expand or who are all trying to do these exact same things at the exact same time, you end up creating this competition, right? So as some of those businesses pull out saying, hey, maybe we're not so financially stable to be able to do this, you're going to loosen some of that competition. That's actually going to help drive some prices down for some of those uh, ventures that were out there. And... Uh, and fuel, I think, is the other one. You know, as interest rates go up and as things become more expensive, and even as gas has become more expensive, one of the things that we have seen is that the less people are driving this year than they were a year ago. There's some reasons for that. Airlines are, are back at and fully functioning, right? But also you hear about the issues that Disneyland has with capacities or the complaints that people have had at Disneyland and Disney World, all these different amusement parks, all these destinations that people want to go to. And it just, it becomes a point where it's not something that wanted people that people want to deal with. And then with the national parks, some of them require reservations. And so again, not some stuff that people want to deal with. But also there is a state of uncertainty right now. There's a state of, are we going into a recession? Because we have had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. So technically, we're in a recession by all normal economic indicators. But a we, we're not seeing that recession yet because we have not seen a reduction in the labor force. Now, that reduction may happen, but because there are concerns about the labor force and potential job security, people are driving less. There's also this weird thing going on where companies are forcing people to go back to work and people are choosing not to. Um, and so companies are having to deal with some of this as well, right? Like when people go to work and they have to spend money in gas and they have to give up their commute time and other things like that, that can negatively affect productivity. And so some companies are dealing with some negative productivity situations, and that's probably going to continue to support the need to hire people. I know that at my company, we're still actively hiring people, even though our revenues are back from last year. <clears throat> even though we have more inventory than last year. So Keep in mind, supply and demand. Our inventory is up. Our revenue is down. 
that should happen. That's a market-driven approach to things. So our revenues are back from last year. Our inventory is up, but we're still trying to actively hire people because we know that if we had more people, we could do more of what we do, whether that's so I work in a in the rental car industry. So whether that's renting more cars, uh, being able to um, deal with some better logistics, manage some transactions, there's a lot that goes into it. But ultimately, we're still not staffed to a point where we believe that we can fully meet the demands of the industry. And so we're still continuing to hire. And I believe that a lot of other companies are in that same situation. They even though they may be experiencing some revenue shortages and whatnot, and potentially they're increasing rates to try and offset that. I don't think that's the case. The reality is that they're losing market share to someone and they want that market share back. So they're going to continue to try and hire so they can get there. And that's a very long roundabout way of saying, I don't think we're going to hit a typical recession. Now there are going to be some things that are going to potentially collapse on us. Um, the auto market is disgusting right now. I mean, the cost of a new car, the cost of a used car, they are still stupid right now. Um, and people were purchasing cars that uh, they, they just don't have the value. And so when those cars inevitably get damaged, especially when those markets start to recover and contract a little bit in terms of their prices, people are going to be owing significantly more than the car is worth. And that's always been kind of the thing. You buy a new car, you lose, you know, 10% of the value or 20% of the value the moment you drive off the lot. But we're talking like people are overpaying by 20 to $30,000 for a vehicle, overpaying the MSRP. And then they're losing that value. Plus, they're losing that percentage off the MSRP. So let's say someone were to go out and buy a, a new F-150, and let's say they overpaid by twenty grand for that vehicle. So they probably paid $70,000 for this truck, and it's only worth forty. right? <laughs> like the moment they drive away with it. So if that thing gets totaled within the first year, they might get the equivalent of $40,000. They're in the hole for that additional $30,000. They may have gap coverage, but gap coverage now means that whoever financed them is on the hook for that money. So whether it's the purchaser of the vehicle who's gonna be liable or at a loss, or the bank who provided the gap coverage, someone is going to be at a massive loss when it comes to the market readjustment once the inventory comes back and the prices start to go down. The other one is houses. People were purchasing crazy expensive houses, overpaying drastically for these houses. And they should have been able to afford it. But there are some concerns that they were able to afford it, whether it was because they weren't commuting and now they're being asked to, right? So now they have an increased cost in gas. Um, or be, they were able to write off the a room as a home office, right? So you have a tax deduction there, and that lowers what your actual liability is for that house in terms of your income. 
there's a lot of funny ways to manipulate money to make it so you can afford some things that you really shouldn't afford. When the market starts to go down, people are going to experience one of two things. One, they're going to try and sell a house that they purchased and they were either trying to flip or whatever, and they're not going to be able to. So those people are going to be upside down and either the bank or the lender is going to be on the hook for that or the bank or the owner um, is going to be on the hook for that difference or people did take were in that situation where they were doing some funny stuff with their taxes and accounting and their situation changed enough that now they can no longer afford the house. But now when that the price goes down, they can't sell it for as much. And so they're going to be on the hook for that difference. And if you've ever purchased a house, you know that there are situations where a bank will have a minimum amount because of what the loans balance still is and that you have to sell the house for that minimum amount. And if that minimum amount is greater and what the market is, that's where we're going to get in some tough situations. I think that there are a few markets across the U.S. that are going to experience that. Tennessee, Houston, Vegas, Oregon, Washington. California's already been pretty high, um, so I'm going to leave California out of that. But I think also Ohio is another one, and Florida. A lot of these places where people started moving to and that raised up the housing market and it's going to adjust back down. So we'll see we'll see what ends up happening overall. The the stock market actually responded very positively to the news. So that was great to see because my 401k did well. Um, however, I don't think we're done yet with the Federal Reserve interest hikes. I think that we're still going to see another point to a point and a half before the end of the calendar year, um, which could potentially put mortgage rates by the time that's done at around 8%. So it'd be pretty high. It would be some of the highest we'd seen since we're already at the highest we've seen since uh, the 2000s uh, under Bush. So pushing it even higher than that would push us into Bush senior, potentially even Reagan territory. All right, the last thing here to wrap it up, uh, the PACT Act. Uh, so the PACT Act was a bill that would have expanded the Department of Veterans Affairs Healthcare to presume veterans whose military service included exposure to burn pits to be victims of exposure to toxic substances and fumes when they present with certain illnesses. This bill was originally passed by the Senate 84 to 14 in June. But it had to go to the House, where one sentence was changed that did not affect the cost or anything else. It was just a technicality, which forced it to go back into the Senate. And when it went back into the Senate, 25 Republican senators changed their vote. 
And so it then became 59 people in favor. That put it under the threshold for the filibuster, meaning that it did not pass the Senate. The the absolute disgust that I have about this, I mean, check out Jon Stewart's response to it. Um, it these are people who serve, they did their time. They served our country. They served the flag. They stood up when others would not. And they came back home with an expectation that their government would take care of them. And as we know, the federal government has consistently failed to take care of its veterans. And when the government had an opportunity to do it in June, they recognized it and did the right thing. And then a month later, 25 fucking Republicans changed their mind, preventing people who have served our country, who have been exposed to hazardous materials, from getting the medical care that they need. And it's disgusting. And this is the pro-military party, the fascist fucking Republican party, who every single Republican president, when they've done their budget, has massively increased the amount of spending for the U.S. military. At some point, those bills come due. And with the news the way it is, and social media the way it is, it is no wonder that the military is struggling to recruit people. They are unable to get people in the door at the rate that they used to. You can throw a bunch of money at people on the front end. You can you can talk GI bills, you can talk signing bonuses, you can you can talk all that shit. But when it's all said and done, if you're not willing to take care of people on the back end, people really start to think about it. They say, hey, wait a minute, I have an eight-year service. I might do four active, four reserve, six active, two reserve, whatever. I have an eight-year service I'm going to do. And at the end of those eight years, I expect any harm that was caused to me during my time serving, I will be covered for. And our federal government has consistently said that's not the case. And it's not because of Democrats. It's not because of Democrats. It is because of Republicans. Because Republicans, similar to the fucking pro-lifers that they are, they're all about things on the front end. Save the baby. Yeah, it's, I, you know what? It's not our problem on how people choose, choose to, to deal with the baby once they have it. All we care about is that there's a baby there. Oh, wait, the, the mother can't afford it? Well, she should have made a different decision. You mean the decision that you guys took away from her? Yeah, she would have made that decision, you assholes, but you took it away. 
Same shit with the government. With the with the fucking military. Oh yeah, we need we need and people to enlist. We need higher numbers. We need to take care of our soldiers. We need to take care of our active duty. And the moment that they retire, the moment that their time is over and that their utility to the federal government and the United States military is ended, nah, you don't exist. You should have thought about that when you were in the military. You should have planned better. Maybe if you wouldn't have gone into the military and would have gone down a different career path, things would have ended differently for you. That's the message that Republicans are sending. It's fucking gross. Hey, let's close things out. Um, This wasn't uh, necessarily a super uplifting or positive podcast because the news this week did not support it. And for that, I apologize. However, if you like the lighter stuff, definitely check out my TikTok, my views on politics. Um, I've lately been really diving into a lot of different areas, a lot of different candidates, a lot of different uh, political battles that are taking place uh, with some of the elections that are coming up. It's been a lot of engagement. That's been really good. Um, so you can definitely check that out. Um, but also just, you know, be good to people. Don't be like most of our, our uh, congressional leaders. Just be good to each other. Um, if we're all just good to each other, then then everything takes care of itself. So be good to each other this week. Uh, take care of yourselves. And hopefully I'll see you guys next week.